So the macro answer to that is not being everything I want to be for them. Because I want my heart, I want to be so much for them. Mm -hmm. And with four kids, I, you just can't get to do everything or be everything that you want to be. Hi everyone, this is Ross, your host of Bear Crawl with Dads. So true confession, I'm completely leveraging this podcast for personal and selfish reasons. You see, not too long ago, I became a dad for the very first time, but with that, an older dad. So the one thing that I know so far is that this bear crawl as a dad is not meant to be done alone. We truly need each other. So may this podcast be that for you. So come along and let's bear crawl together. All right. Well, welcome to uh, Bear Crawls with Dad. And tonight we have caught a big fish. And I am very, very honored and excited to introduce the audience to a friend, a long, long time acquaintance. So it's been a while since we've connected. But David, thanks for being on the show with us. Ross, thank you. It's a privilege. I've been called a lot of things, not a big fish. <laughs> Yes, the audience doesn't know, but you are quite the big fish, my friend. I was so honored that you even were wanting just to jump on with me. And so thank you. I really appreciate it. And I'm audience, man, David, and I really haven't connected in a long, long time. So I, I've really been looking forward to this just to see what you've been up to, David, in general, and talk about dads and being a dad and what that's, what that's all about. As the audience know, you know, knows, I, I completely am leveraging this show to get help since I'm a kind of a new dad and just to learn from you and, and from others of where can I not, I guess, not make a big dent in my kid's life. And so just learning from you. But before we start, I think there's such a time right now to really speak truth to dads, encourage dads. I really think there's a need out there. So, you know, my hope and prayer is that, you know, somebody listening to this will be encouraged with our conversation. Um, something just came across actually yesterday, a songwriter out of Nashville that I think just recorded a song off his iPhone. And basically it's saying that he wanted to encourage listeners to either call their dad or take their call from dad. And in the article, he's saying that the three writers of this song, that they're all dads, but that all of them have different dynamics uh, with their dads and no parent is perfect. It's not about being a perfect parent or perfect kids. It's about choosing to love well and connect with those that matter. With that kind of framing it, David, just first of all, tell the audience kind of who are you? Where did you grow up? Where are you? And uh, what do you do? Yeah, I am a father and four kids and a husband of the same wife for 24 years. Congratulations. Thank you. I mean, born on the North Dakota, Minnesota border and migrated in fifth grade to Colorado and then to Kansas City to finish high school and then on to Baylor University where I met my good man, Ross Purdy. And now I reside back in Colorado. Okay. So you made it back to Colorado. You were born on the, the what border? North Dakota, Minnesota border. Just think about Canada and it's just south of that. Anything north of Oklahoma, uh, to be honest with you, I'm a little shady. Yeah, I'm a joke. up there. So is your family like originally from that area? Yeah. My dad was the Hamiltons? Uh, raised in Minnesota and then started making his career in Rochester and moved to Fargo, North Dakota. Fargo. Where I was okay. Yeah. And then followed his career to Kansas City, ended up moving to Kansas City. And that's where he ended up living the rest of his life. Okay. Just on a side note, I finally saw Fargo, the movie. Um, I heard it was filmed in South Dakota, but I don't okay. know how accurate depiction it is of the city. Everybody I know still is from Fargo. They're not still there. So that's... <laughs> well, my wife and I were like, you hear so it's such a like, has such a cult following. And so we're like, 
we really need to watch this. And so I think we did it maybe like a year ago for the first time. So yeah, I'll never see a tree shredder uh, the same way ever again. So just to start it off, you were all about the dads and I'm taking notes, man. So I want to learn from you sitting at your feet, teach me your ways, the good, the bad, the ugly, you know, when it comes to this whole thing of dads, but let's go there a little bit. Like with your dad, tell me about him and what your relationship was like with him. Yeah. You know, it was really solid. Uh, I had two older sisters. Okay. Uh, one of which is mentally handicapped still. So it was an interesting dynamic growing up. He really wanted a boy, probably like most fathers mm. want at least one boy to carry on the name and to have that father-son relationship because it is special. Uh, he wore something or carried something blue every day. My mom was pregnant with me. Stop. Uh, we respect the superstition, but uh, I confess, and it's been harder for me in later years of life. I was kind of the chosen child. So I was slightly favored and I got to do all the fishing, hunting, golfing, playing ball, wrestling with them. It was a really good relationship yeah. by and large until I turned 16. And I'll say one thing about my dad, one thing I respect that he was true to himself as much okay. as he was self-aware about himself. He lived out who he was and it wasn't trying to be somebody that he wasn't or he, that other people thought he should. Mm -hmm. So his authenticity was a value, high value. And that's something that's rubbed off on me. But I will say the dynamic in that relationship changed significantly. He was a great provider, protector. He would get in my face when I needed it. He was a tough mm -hmm. lover. When I was 16, we, were, we just moved to Kansas City. So this was our first year in Kansas City. My mom got diagnosed with a real rare case of lung cancer. She didn't smoke, didn't drink, was extremely healthy otherwise. So cool. just a really rare case that was untreatable. She went through chemo and, and the Lord took her in about three months. So that Man. really flipped. I mean, it did a lot of things. That's where I came to faith. But in the midst of that, my dad respected my mom greatly. And I know this isn't about mothers or moms, but she was an amazing woman with amazing gifts, obviously dealing with the unique dynamic of her family and my second sister that had significant challenges. She seemed to be the only woman he later remarried, but was really the only one that he truly respected. And she could hold him to certain things. He was a different man after she passed away. Not necessarily spiraling downhill. He was just different. He was not the same. Mm -hmm. And our relationship, I was 16 at that point, changed significantly. Probably for better and worse, but in the better way, he relied on me a lot more. He relied you know, on you when it flipped at 16? Yeah. So there were two dynamics happening. I was 16 and becoming a man and growing up. And he had lost his lifelong companion and love of his life. So he was upended and he didn't have a lot of friends in Kansas City at that point. He hadn't really established himself. So I played basketball through high school and he got very involved with the parents there. And that kind of came in his social network. Okay. But he relied on me emotionally a lot. And I know you, this is kind of a hot button that you've been looking at. Do parents live vicariously through their kids? I'm not saying he did that, but there was a, he needed support, he needed love, and he needed somebody to actually uphold him. And because I started walking with the Lord at that point, I had an inner strength that he relied on, frankly. And I became more of a friend to him at that point, which was fine. I didn't know any better until I got into, you know, later years of having my own family. Mm -hmm. So at that point, it was good. I was glad to be that for him. And I didn't really realize what was happening, but that's what was happening. So that was kind of, that's kind of how he and I have kind of come about or grew out of that is I was, he relied on me spiritually, emotionally for some things. He wasn't one of those parents, I can say this honestly, that was vicariously living through me. He was his own athlete. So he wasn't trying to relive glory days. He was really seeking some more identity. And so he was using that platform to connect socially. And 
have the identity to be in a very supportive dad athletically. So did that expose, obviously, with the passing of your mom, maybe his identity to some degree, is it fair to say, was wrapped up a little bit in your mom? Yes. And then when she was taken away, then he took that and put that into you a little bit? Is that fair? Yeah, I think there was an, yeah. emotion, an emotional need for support and encouragement and just somebody to give life to him. Yeah. Her mom was a great life giver. She was, she gave life to everybody she ran across. And so he was looking for that energy, that, that life. And he needed yeah. a little bit of void there. Right. Yeah. That's, that's heavy for a 16 year old. Yeah. It's only by God's grace that, that we worked our way through it. So you can say it's an incredibly painful time. Not only did I lose my mom, who I adored incredibly and relied on heavily. So there was the pain of losing her mm -hmm. and also the grief of seeing my dad so crushed. Hey. So this guy that's supposed to be iconic and a stoic strength in my life is crushed. So I lead into the Lord and God, the father was my father and he sustained me. I really grew a lot spiritually at that point in my life. That could have gone so many ways, you know, yes. for a 16 year old to bear that much weight, you know, just emotionally. How, how did you come to faith? Like you just said, I could have gone either way. I grew up a little bit in the church. It was more ritualistic. It wasn't very vibrant. The spirit wasn't really moving and it wasn't really biblical teaching. Just a very traditional thing to do on Sundays. So my family is very moral. My mom was a believer and that's kind of another story. But I came to a point where he took her. I was prayed when I was a kid that I would die before my parents. Weird prayer. Really? But yeah. And so God just up into that and said, no, that's not what I have for you. Ended up taking my mom to be with him. At 16, I was confused. I said, God, how can you do this to such a great woman? How can you do this to our, our family? And I was really mad. God, I don't, I don't get this. And I, I have issues with you. But he was saying, you can go one of two ways. This is a fork in the road for you. And I know you don't understand, but I have a plan for you. And there were a class of older. So I was a sophomore. There were some juniors and seniors that were, they called it an FCA group, but they really met this young attorney's house and did Bible study and prayed together. Hey. So they basically took me in. Paul says in Philippians, brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. And that's what I started doing. I just walked according to the pattern that they had in, in their faith. Hey. And they literally just walked me into the faith. And I said, God, I don't get it. Jesus, I'm going to trust you. I, I don't understand. But he, he just was like, you probably stroke or console your dog on the head. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Hey. And even in the herd, I had this peace that it was going to be okay. So I said, okay, Lord, I trust it's going to be okay. Let's go. So that's where we went. But yeah, it could have gone the other way. Wow. Do you still keep up with those guys? I do. Two of them came to my dad's funeral back in 2016, which was in Kansas City. That's powerful. What a testimony to those guys. Yeah. And then I met the, uh, the young attorney that was just being obedient. I saw him probably five years ago. When I was going through Kansas City to take my kids to camp and just met him in his firm and said, man, I got to tell you, the influence that you had from that group was unbelievable. And I, I can't tell you how many times I've told that story about him and his obedience. And so just, yeah, pretty powerful. Well, I'm thankful that you brought that up to honor him. Being in the world of education right now, you don't do it to get the praise, but when you do get it, it's a game changer. It keeps you in the game, you know? So what a tribute to him. So thanks for sharing all that, man. That's powerful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But I'm glad you mentioned your mom too. Yeah. I mean, yeah, this is a, a podcast to, to encourage dads and to help us along the way, whether you're a, an older dad, a younger dad, whatever, but also too, but like the, the backbone sounds like maybe with your mom is the backbone I feel like that I'm hearing too is wives or moms play such a pivotal role in all this. So I'm glad that you mentioned your mom too. That's a whole another conversation that, you know, on the podcast that we can do as well. 
Is there anything that you look back on that you maybe your dad and you touched maybe a little bit about it because you kind of embody some of those attributes. But like, is there anything that you reflect back that your dad would say to you or would encourage you that you now share with your children or how you parent your kids? Is there anything that you kind of it could be your mom as well? Yeah. Any advice or anything that they gave? Yeah. You know, my dad, it wasn't so much the thing that he said. It was who he was and how he lived. Okay. Pretty consistently. So, I mean, he did one specific thing, best advice he gave me was don't quit. And don't, don't be a quitter and listen to your mom. But so we're reading these leadership books and these three leadership talks about, you can teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. And so that really kind of sums up with my dad. The positive things I got from my dad is because of who he was and just how he lived. Yeah. And so those were imparted to me. And there's some negatives too, whether it's generational sin or patterns or things that he wasn't self-aware in that just rubbed me wrong now that I'm a dad. I don't want to be that. You know, the positive attributes of learning from that. And he tended to be later in life. This is, again, he's a different man after my mom died. So mm-hmm. he wasn't as, it's hard to say, he wasn't as much of a dad. He had a stroke when he was probably 78. And so he lived another three years disabled from a stroke. And he was, for all intents and purposes, his life was over because he didn't volunteer at Red Cross, do mission trips or hunt and fish and golf and do all that stuff, institutionalized. But yeah, it was, it was more of who he was and how he lived and learning from his failures and his weaknesses as much as the positive things that he did. He loved yeah, definitely and he loved to laugh. I think that's a positive that he's imparted to me. He and my mom yeah. loved to laugh a lot. And I see that in our family. We undergird a lot of things with laughter, you know, fun mode. Well, that's a, that's an admirable gift right there. You know, I pick up a little bit on that, you know, for some of my visits so far on the podcast, when those that are talking about their dads, it's oftentimes right a little bit more, not what you say is, but it's what you do or following his example or following his lead, or he was a man of not a lot of words, right? Uh, how he loved people or was present. That's another thing too. Like how did he show his love or how did he show his yeah, his affirmation. Was it was it his presence? Was it showing up to all your games or or what did that yeah. look like? He rarely missed a game. And all athletes can say that, but he was present. I remember significantly first specifically, I was in first grade and he had to instead of move to New Jersey, he had a promotion. He had to go work there for four months. And he came back every other weekend. And we missed him incredibly. I think there's some dads out there that wouldn't be missed if they were to go. But he he was yeah. seriously significantly missed. He was very present. I never questioned if he was proud of me yeah. or if I was doing a good job. He was both parents and him in particular, since we're talking about him, was uh, very affirming, especially after high school and into college. And oh, I guess I'm just so proud. I can't, you know, you've just done so great. You married a great woman and all that great stuff that the guys need to hear. Yeah. And yeah. when I did doubt it, one of the greatest things he did before he died was I found this letter. He wrote a two-page letter, handwritten letter, and I got it after he died. Andrea, my sister, found it and gave it to me, but he wrote it to me, and it was kind of that farewell letter. Like, wow. Hey, there's any, oh, yeah, it blew me away. It's what every son wants and needs to hear. A son would want to or need to hear from their dad to be affirmed. That was said. So that was a great gift. So on that note, what is that? Words of affirmation? Words of I believe in you. What is it that, let's dig a little bit in that, like what every son wants to hear. What was it? Yes, those things. I mean, you're right. Okay. On. You're not You're not far off from being a fantastic dad, Russ. <laughs> you're dialed in, man. Yeah, I, I believe in you. I'm proud of you. You've done a great job. You've made great choices. 
you're everything that your mom and I wanted you to be or prayed you would be and more. You know, you married a great woman, you've got great kids. You know, you got to meet all you got to meet all those grandkids. That was a blessing. Absolutely. That's so cool though. That you're right. Man, I hope it too, just for those dads out there listening, maybe it's I've screwed up too much and I haven't talked to my kids in forever and just jump in there, you know, no matter what, and just extend the the olive leaf, whatever. And just, cause I think we're all searching for affirmation and, and I don't know, maybe that's another topic too, but you have daughters, you know, and I feel like there's a def- there's maybe a special connection that daughters have for their dads, that boys have for their moms. I feel like in a child's life, dad, it's a time for dad to step in. And there's a time where maybe where mom needs to step in a little bit more, you know, that I've read about that. I've heard about that. I don't know what your experiences are, or is there some truth a little bit to like the daddy girl, you know, special connection or, but I guess my point is girls look to their dads as that you're the first knight in shining armor. You know, you're the one that sets the standard that I would hope if they were ever to marry, they're looking to you. And I guess boys look into their moms in a sense of how to respect a woman or, or I don't know. So those are, there's interesting dynamics. Oh, you're exactly right. You do know. You say, I don't know, but you do know. And that is, that is right. And I don't want to, you know, my dad was no superhero. So you got remarried twice. And the second one, I'm still not a fan of to this day. That's a whole nother talk. He was a different man married to each of those two other wives. There are a number of things that he really disappointed me in, mm-hmm. in the last season of his life. So that was hard to work through and actually be a part of. I wasn't on board to be a blended family. Right. With my own family. Right. <laughs> I, got my own kids. I don't have time or energy to go expand my extended family. Yeah. So David, one thing that I've been really, really, really curious about, even before I had, you know, my son is just the Jewish faith. I just love the Jewish faith and the traditions. And, but one of the things that, that really hit means a lot or seems to be really a rite of passage in, in the life of a young Jewish boy or a young Jewish girl is the bat mitzvah or the bar mitzvah, right? Where the family really pauses and there's mm-hmm. this intentional time where that child, it's like, has to, of course, has to go through great training to get ready for this, but it's like this rite of passage that you're no longer a youth. You're like, you're right there on the brink of being an adult. And so not only does, does our family see value and we'll circle around you, but like greater community, right? And there's great expectations that we ask of you. And so I'm always like, okay, okay, I love that. And here's what I would want to do with my child and stuff like that. So now transitioning to you, David, as a father, have y'all done anything like that with your four kids? Like any intentionality of whether it's something mm-hmm. like that or just spending time with each child in a specific, special way? Yes and yes. So we do something, one of our traditions is called a 10-year trip. So when the kids each turn 10 years old, one of okay. us would take them away. Mm-hmm. Having four kids is a lot. It's not just two plus two. Right. And it's not just two times two either. <laughs> right. It's more than that. It's like 10 years old. You time lost to, me. Too much math. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> With a family of six total and four kids, it's tough to find individual time. We're always kind of trying to, you know, family time is family time and we're moving as a, as a herd. So the intentionality of the 10 year trip is to get one parent and one kid away. We take them on a trip, get on an airplane and go to the beach or somewhere else. And Sherry has done female stuff with the girls. Okay. Hey, let's talk about guys and how, you know, horny they are in high school and what they really look at and what they really want or what they're really thinking about. And let's talk about drugs, substances. When the guys ask you to take a nudie on your phone, mm-hmm. what does that mean? Let's talk about the implications of social media. You post something that's out there forever. You know, mm-hmm. we just got to get ahead of, and unfortunately it's getting earlier and earlier. The kids are getting exposed to stuff earlier and earlier. 
Mm-hmm. So we tried to at least that was the purpose of that trip. And so as an introduction to, hey, this is the world. This is reality. We're here. Let's open lines of communication. Our biggest thing is Sherry and I is if we can just keep them talking to us about whatever. We don't care if they, you know, what does this cuss word mean? Come ask us. We'll tell you in a safe, truthful environment. If my kid throws a cuss word and I'm like, dude, do you know what that is? No, what no. is that? Well, here's what it is. Don't be naive. Oh my gosh, I'll never say that again. You know, anyway, that's the 10 year trip. So to get them away, walk through birds and bees and that sort of thing, your body's changing, what to expect, mm-hmm. the gamut of passage into teenage years and ultimately into adulthood. Now, what we're finding is my oldest is now 20 years old. There's been some follow up that's needed. Okay. <laughs> Not everything's going to land at 10 years old. <laughs> right. I mean, I told Brody what pornography was at 10, but I don't think he could spell it. So, uh, until a buddy whips out his phone and shows him a picture. Yeah. As, as he's typing it in in Google, like that, what was that again? <laughs> yeah. Right. So the rite of passage specifically that I want to follow up with Brody is, is to talk about those things in depth and practical ways to escape the discipline and decision-making all those types of things that are coming at him now. I mean, his friends are starting to take different trajectories. They're using words. And I asked him just last week, I said, Hey, have your friends showing you pictures of anything saucy? And because we had that, we introduced it at 10 years old and we've been asking questions like that. They feel, to the best of my knowledge, at least, it feels like they feel safe to talk to us about that. And yeah. Reese, who's a year and a half older than Brody, she'll talk about that stuff openly. You know, this girl sent nudies to this and now she's in trouble and this guy's getting, you know, probed by the police because of this. And, mm-hmm. um, and God bless her. She's had friends talk to her about killing themselves. Mm. She talked to one of them off the ledge, actually. This wow. That year and a half ago. Yeah, it's a really cool God thing. But the stuff that's coming at kids, especially in public school here in Denver area, is just insane. It's insane. Sorry, too verbose of an answer. Yes, traditional. I'm going to do another trip with Brody, probably when he turns 16. We'll do 16-year trips with Reese and Brody. Okay. Uh, and get them out. And because now stuff's landing, it's very applicable. Okay. I like that because it's like maybe the 10-year-old thing is you kind of introduce it. It's intentionality. You're taking them someplace. And number one is like, man, I'm getting to hang out with my parent. Like, that's awesome. Right. And just, so there's that alone. We're going to the beach. And then you come the sucker punch of like, okay, yeah, the beach, but we're also going to have like a little birds and bees talk. Wait, what? But there's something special about the time that you're having. So that's a win right there. But you're starting to open up those conversations about some really meaty stuff. And I love the fact that you're revisiting it years later and being honest. I forgot who it was that was saying, like their child was saying all these lies and parents were like, what's happening? Well, then the child felt they were embarrassed about to talk about some things. So that's why they were lying. And the parents were like, oh my gosh, like we always thought that you could come to us and that we were very explicit about that. And the poor right. child was just like too embarrassed. So that's why they were lying. But they yeah. just like, no, no, we want to, we want to know. And we want to create a, an environment of, you can just bring anything at us and we'd rather know that. So that's. That's a neat tradition. Do they get to choose where the destination is or do y'all? They choose. Yeah. And so that's another unique thing is, you know, with family four, they're always conceding to the group. Um, Whenever they ask something on the 10-year trip, the answer is yes. Do you want to go to Chipotle? Where do you want to go to eat? Because it's a yes. We're doing what you want to do. So that helps affirm the the environment that it's in. So so you put people in of like, I want to go to Iceland. Yeah, no. (laughs) There are some guidelines. Okay. Okay. Well, the last thing I'll ask about the 10 year trip, but like when you are having those conversations, do you use any kind of book or something to guide the conversations or is it just, we kind of do it off the cuff? We did on the 10 year trip. I forget the name of the book. 
Okay. So there um, is a, there is a resource to use. There is a resource. Okay. And I'm not sure what we're going to do on the 16 years. We might oh. reference some, something, but I, I think it's just going to be real candid conversations. Do you have time to think about that? Or is a 16 year old coming up, birthday coming up soon? No, oh, we got time. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if you have like tomorrow or next week to figure this out because we can turn the podcast into that, helping you figure that out. One thing, this is not about me. It's all about you. But one thing that my dad did generally, we would always get to a good rhythm where every Friday night was like date night with dad. So my dad and I, again, like, you know, wherever you want to go eat. Okay. But it was just me and my dad. And then for my sisters, so like you, I have two older sisters. So dad, he would open up the door for them. He would pull this chair back at dinner because he wanted also to, to show them how you should be treated when a guy takes you out on a date, right? He just kind of wanted to raise the bar in their eyes. So anyway, yeah, no, that's cool about the 10-year trip. So, so you as a dad, four kids, never a dull moment. And you talked a little bit about obviously how your dad, that being present, you got a huge like words of affirmation the letter that you found. How do you, David, as a dad, show your love, appreciation? How do you validate having four kids? What does that look like? Again, I'm, I'm seeking advice, but how do you do that? How do you carve out that time with all of them? And are you just, I'm not a man of many words, or I'm present or, so what does that look like for you? Yeah, I'll just start from where my mind is starting. I have been very present. I've had, uh, been fortunate enough to I don't have a career. I've had different jobs. And so I used to run a blood management and biologics company, but that's local. So I'm always home at night. I don't travel hardly at all. If it do, it's an overnight somewhere other in Colorado and run another small business now that's different than that, which is, I've got to a point where now I've got autonomy. So I, I make all the ball games, all the events, I go to homecoming pictures and all that stuff. I, I try and be very present. I was the yeah. man in cool with all the little kids that was throwing them around and poking them with noodles. And, you know, I'm hoping that that has its effect. But to date, now that they're older, I think asking them mature questions. I'm shocked. Oh. I am shocked at how mature Reese is. She's my number three. Okay. And one of the biggest themes, common themes that all the girls have had through high school is not having good friends. They've not had friends versus having the wrong friends, which I, I choose that battle all day long. Say that again, so clarify. So yeah, Hallie, Emma, and Reese haven't had really close, good friends. Okay. They've struggled through high school not having, what they would say is not having friends. Okay. Which I would say it's about every one of them. Because of their character, they're operating higher social level and decision-making process standard than the, the their peers. Mm -hmm. you, you can see it. Uh, as mm -hmm. soon as Hallie went to school and worked at Canacac, Boom, it popped and she's got all great friends. She's yeah. got some really neat friends and a really solid book friend that we're, you know, impressed with. Emma, the same thing. It's the high school. You get to college and and there's more like-minded, mature people. I don't know when the child brain grows out of child brain mode, but I think uh, people start doing that when they get to college. Yeah. And so Reese is at that, that part right now. And so all I have to say is, like, sometimes we'll do, like, family Bible study. And... We'll ask questions and she's a thinker. Like, so I'm getting off on a tangent, but to answer your question specifically, the things I do to, to show love and care and concern is to be authentic and go, you know what, what do you think about this? Treating them like adults, asking them mature, thought provoking, not yes, no questions. And again, I, we undergird that, that the motive is that we want our kids to feel like they can talk to us about anything at any time. So when we talk about deep things, we talk about light things, we laugh a lot, joke a lot. I've got a lot of inside jokes with Reese. 
the one-liners I should start journaling on because they will, I'll laugh hard someday at them, but talking to them, individual one-on-one time, it doesn't necessarily mean, yes, I like to take them on dates and get them out, but it could be a five minute conversation. It's not so much the quantity of time. It's if I get five minutes with Reese, but I connect with her on a deep level, that's great. Yeah. She's got a driver's permit. And so we went on a little five minute drive. So I asked her two questions there and it's about something serious that makes, or that's important to her and, or we share a joke, we connect. I love that. That's awesome. But you've got to ask the right questions to get the response, to be able to, to navigate or for them to feel a heard, to feel like, okay, I could trust him. I just shared something. I didn't get judged. I didn't get... Right. I wasn't throwing his opinion at me right off the bat. He wasn't trying to fix it. Sounds like it's grown and grown and grown with your children, which I think is pretty special. You got it. I mean, you nailed it. And then there's another component is the timing. It's not always the right time. Reading the room, it's just not always the right time. You know, right now in our school, we're, you know, it's blown up on the East Coast, West Coast here in Texas, stuff like that. But it's the whole social, emotional learning. You know, one of those components is being, obviously, is being self-aware. You know, maybe mm-hmm. as parents, we really have to be self-aware of ourselves and just to be mm-hmm. like, hey, slow down, shut up, listen. Maybe as dads, I know my dad, his way of showing love was to fix it. I want to fix it. Hey, I got this problem. Okay, well, let's just fix it. And I remember as an adult, we were grabbing barbecue together in near Austin. And I was just sharing a struggle with someone with dad. And he kind of went into fix it. And I was like, dad, I don't need you to fix it. I just need you to listen. Mm-hmm. So, and he did. But I guess what I'm hearing from you, though, is the timing, listening, being really self-aware with yourself of, you know what? I just need to listen right now. And maybe my child just needs to vent and needs a hug. And I can preach at her later. Right. I mean, I think that's good. That self-aware component and just really trying to be on with your timing. Yeah, you're so right. And one of the things I wish I could go back and do is capitalize more on those moments where it is the right time. And you're so tired. It's the hardest thing you'll ever do, but the greatest reward you'll ever have. This just popped in my brain. I'm a new dad, right? So this hasn't really happened quite yet, but I'll never forget. I had uh, spent years away from the world of education, um, moved out to Los Angeles, came back, got my master's. And so when I got back into the world of education as a dean of students at this school and a middle school kid said something and it, like triggered an insecurity in me, <laughs> I immediately like I reverted back to my middle school days and like I got defensive and I had to take a step back later. I was like, holy crap, like I just completely reverted back to middle school. And here I am as an adult getting defensive with a seventh grader, but it triggers something in me. Maybe it's some wounds that I didn't get healed back in middle school. And I've said this on many shows, we're kind of walking wounded from our middle school years. Even as adults, whatever kind of facade we put on in middle school to survive, we could probably still be wearing that mask. So for you as a dad, and mentioning, you know, the communication with your kids and questions and just being present and blah, blah, blah. You're tired. Have you ever like been faced with that where something has been said and you got triggered and you're like, wait a minute, hold on. Has that ever happened? Yeah. And I am a, I don't know if it's a blessing or a curse. I kind of have a short-term memory, but <laughs> so stuff will trigger me. I'm not, I'm not escaping the question. I will fully confess that. Yeah, it's, that happens to me. It's basically more about my recent past. I will have a very defensive answer. Uh, about how I let my kids down and my wife down in the past uh, the tendency. Oh yeah. I will have a response. Okay. Something you said triggered in me. I still talk about it. And I still remember where I was in the hallway. And I was like, I'm handling it. It's like a middle school student. 
you know, because I'm a dean of students at my current school right now. And I talk to my principal all the time, you know, with teachers. How are we teaching? How are we working with our students? Is it coming from a place of our wounds and our hurts, you know, working with our students, you know, which I think is actually kind of interesting to dig into a little bit, right? How we work with our students. Anyway, so with being a parent is like the toughest job you'll ever have. And this is a huge kind of a macro question. So I, I get it. But what's been your greatest challenge as a dad? Maybe it's just the fact that you have four. God bless you. Yeah. So the macro answer to that is not being everything I want to be for them. I want to be so much for them. Mm -hmm. And with four kids, you just can't get to do everything or be everything that you want to be. And I'll just say this, in the last two years, I've really grown a lot in becoming self-aware. I was just like, what? And that's something, I guess, that's tied back to my past. But a counselor really helps me become self-aware and work on that. And one of the, kind of going down a different tangent, but being okay. able to look at my family, but then also there are things that, some of the biggest challenges is leading the kids in the things that I can't fix for them, but they need to do on their own. And this is something I've learned in the last two years. It's funny, the more self-aware you become, the more you see and more discerning you become about other people without being self-aware about themselves. You see stuff in other people, discerning, looking at other people and seeing yeah. where they're not self-aware or what um, things they're on. It's a weird phenomenon. Yeah. So doing that and having to, like, I can't make my kids go to youth group. I can't make them go hang out with new people to try and make the right friends. That's something they need to choose for themselves. Yeah. And again, it's at this age where you need to choose that. And Hallie and Emma, who are older, they've embraced their own faith. We've encouraged them and kind of made them do stuff growing up, but now they're doing that on their own. They're making their own choices to do that. I didn't ask Hallie to invite her younger sister to do a Bible study with her. There's that where, hey Reese, it's pushing back. The compassionate side of me has got to pump the brakes and better is an open order to than love concealed. It's similar to that. I've got to be firm and say, I'm okay to not be liked by you right now. I'm told to be your dad, so I'm going to be your dad, and you need to do this. This is your decision. Here's the consequences of either one you make. You can vent to me all you want, but if you want to have a constructive conversation about this, then let's have that. But I clearly can't fix it. I've made suggestions for you. You got to choose to do it or not. So there's that, and then there's things that have come against our family where we don't even understand what God's doing. Like, hey, you got to go to God with that. You can't fix it. I can't fix it. Now it's a faith issue. So that's been a challenge to you in, in things that are, for lack of better words, or sounding lame, confusing how God allows things to happen that you don't understand. Like my mom passing away. I didn't understand that. I'm like, God, what are you doing? I, I don't get that. But I was led that way. I found it on my own. I just had to trust God. He's the only one that could solve that issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lead me through that. So leading my kids to the cross or leading my kids to truth when there's no other explanation. That's an interesting component of challenge, especially if one of them, because of whatever happened, feels like God abandoned them in that moment. You know, if a kid did them or that's a light one, but you get the point. Yeah. I mean, disappointed in God. There's so much there, which you just shared, like how do you unpack that a little bit? Not having gone there yet, because I've got a 20 month old, but you know, they got to make their own decisions. And like, you want them to do this because you've, either been there before as an adult, you have a little bit more quote world experiences or you've been, you know, what's the best interest for them, but how do you, you can't force them to do that or you can't make them do that. 
You know, no, it's the, it's so the line how, of when do you stop leading them and serving them? When you cross the line where now it's enabling them. Ex- you know, yes. A, yes. A mild example would be plating their food for them. Again, it's a really nice thing to do for them, but do you do that forever? Would they learn not, not to do their dishes? You know, at some point you go, okay, we're having a taco bar tonight. You guys go put all your tacos together. Yeah. That's a whole nother conversation too about chores. <laughs> and I would love to talk to, to somebody about chores. You know, would you start building some independence and self-reliance and some grits? And, you know, when do you pick them up? When do you not pick them up off the ground? When do you like, no, 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 you need to make your own sandwich. You can make your own lunch. I'm not because you're old <laughs> enough. So Brody goes, walks in the other day, goes, hey, dad, what's for lunch? I go, whatever you're making, bud. Wait, you did that? Yeah. Did you? Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, he's 14. Yes. I see like a big picture of that too. And I can see where it's going to be hard. I can imagine. Again, I, I'm not where you are, but I can imagine it, it's going to be so difficult to like, when do I bite my tongue? And when do I let them like, I know decision they're about to make, they're going to fail. Either they're going to fail because A, they may get drunk at that party or you know, or they didn't study, they're going to fail, you know, yeah. but I, I got to bite my tongue on this one because they're going to have to learn the hard way and I can't rescue them all the time. Right. So I don't know if that's where you're going a little bit with that, but is that part of it too for you is you said two years ago or three years ago, you don't have to share anything specific at all, but, but was there something specific that popped that you're like, whoa, I, and I appreciate your vulnerability about the counseling because yeah. I think sometimes I'm not to stereotype men, uh, but I think there is potentially a perception that we're tough. We have it together. Going to see a counselor is a sign of weakness. I, when I had panic attacks, actually one of our mutual friends, I had a panic attack in his apartment, Chris in the Dallas Fort Worth area, I uh, had a panic attack in his apartment, you know? And, and so at that point I was finally on my knees. I was like, I don't know what else to do. I need to go see a counselor. I don't know what's happening. Right. So it was a blessing for me. So I appreciate you being vulnerable, but was there something that kind of made you get to that point? You talked about self-awareness. Yeah. You know, I think it was a culmination of things. I think it was because I wasn't self-aware of how I was, how my kids and my wife were responding to me in certain circumstances. I just wasn't seeing it. Like God bless my wife. I mean, seriously, she was like, Hey, we're seeing this and this. And why is that? Like, you know, they were trying to, and all really, my wife was leading that, but they were giving me the chance to acknowledge, like I'd get angry a lot, not violently, but just, sure, sure, you know, sure. I, I would have as a, they describe as the edge. I don't have an edge to me. I'm like, well, I'm starting a business and this and that, and you're making excuses. No, dude, time out. But what is going on in you? So it just caused strain with the kids and in our marriage. And I love my wife dearly. And I'll say this to men out there. If you are not conflicting with your wife, that's not a good sign. Mm. We call it intense fellowship at our house. But I know couples that they never fight. Well, they're probably never going to finish their marriage. Wow. There's got to be some rub, but you're not being an individual. That's what I'm learning. Okay. You guys can test your own theory. But for me, I know this to be true is that I didn't love the conflict or intense fellowship with Sherry. It was happening consistently, but it wasn't landing with me because I was either A, making excuses or it could be called self-preservation, which you're speaking to, Ross. Guys got it all together. You know, they're, they're protecting or preserving their image and their, their pride and whatever. Going to counseling is one of the greatest things I think anybody can do. I know guys, there are close friends of mine that don't necessarily have issues, but they go because it's a healthy thing to do. <laughs> you can be good without it. But what great. I think you've got to do that. I think you ask guys that have been through trials and, and push through managing wounds and pushing through barriers. We need help. I mean, it's, it's not an addiction, but you got to confess that you need help. You got to be coachable. 
And I thank God for my wife for leading me into that. It's been incredible. She kind of yeah. called you out a little bit. No, we started going together. Like, hey, let's figure this out. Let's get a third party in here. But to start that conversation, she kind of called it out or called you out to teach. She goes, hey, would you want to go to counseling? Let's go to counseling. I was like, yeah, heck yeah, let's go. I wasn't opposed to getting help, but it's gotten to the counselor. And I said, you know what? Sherry doesn't need to be here. Let's work on you, Dave. I'm like, hey, that's great. And it is very healthy. Oh, Ross, it has been, I've changed. I mean, I've got a lot more to go, but I'm different. That's awesome. Yeah. It's, that's it's powerful. It's not easy. I mean, it's, sure. it's work, but it's so worth it. So worth it. That's so good. That's so good. And and I really appreciate that. And that, that obviously speaks to me for sure. And, and again, hopefully it's somebody that's listening. And I think my prayers for those that are married, you know, that the best gift that you can give your children is a healthy marriage with you and your wife. And like, I think the children need to know, because this is what I saw in my family, that my mom and dad, their first love, of course, was to God. But then their second love was to each other. And then it was us. You know, it wasn't the kids. If mom and dad aren't clicking, that's eventually going to affect the kids, you know? So mom and dad, they need to be locked, stock and step with each other, right? And so counseling could be a beautiful thing. Yes. Wow. And you you are right on, bro. And I'll add something to that. Another great thing, probably right behind that, that you can give to your kids and your wife, the greatest thing, one of the greatest things is be a healthy you. So I'm transparent with my kids to a certain degree. Like I'll confess having let them down in the past and asking for their forgiveness. And how they respond to it is, has been humbling, but also a blessing. And I think that's helped too. They see me be real yeah, and authentic. Really. Like dad is, you said it around. There is no perfect dad and perfection is not the goal. Authenticity and healthy individuality is my goal. The best thing I can do for my marriage and the counselor would verify this or back me on this is be the best me and not trying to be somebody that I quote unquote think I should be. Yeah. I need Dave Hamilton. I need to be operating in my gifts, being the best me. Now, if I want to go get drunk, doesn't mean I should make poor choices, but I have a developing vision of who I want to be. And it's undergirded or fueled by the Holy Spirit. So I tend to lean towards those where my desire and his leading overlap. But my pursuit of that is, and the authenticity is with my kids. I mean, we're speaking about fatherhood here. So I'll just lay it out that there are some things like, Sherry and I have intense fellowship in front of kids. <laughs> they hear it. If we have that in front of the kids, I make darn sure that I publicly apologize in front of the kids yes. I, for how I've acted, not necessarily for the decision I make or my stance and who I think my opinion necessarily, because it might be, that might be healthy. But if I yell or disrespect her or that sort of thing, then I certainly apologize for that. And that's important because I've heard from a lot of people through you know, my life that I never saw my parents argue. I never, I never saw them blah, blah, blah. So I didn't know, I didn't know how to, I didn't see reconciliation. And so if I ever got in a, or so I never got in a fight with my dating partner, right? Cause that's bad, you know? So I think that's healthy and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I think that's important. And, um, the counseling and it's, it's so true. We all need it. We all need just to be, to be real and have a place where we can just go and get some insights. So I appreciate that a lot. So just uh, as we're winding down, is there any like last minute, like words of encouragement or anything that you want to share, David, just to the listeners or anything? Yeah. You know, it's not easy. I said earlier, it's probably the hardest thing. If you're really engaged, it's probably meant to be one of the hardest things you ever do, but one of the most rewarding. And I just want to thank you, Ross, before I, I run past it or exits my mind, A, the invitation, because to the, the self-reflection I did in the avenue of fatherhood has been admonishing. Like I'm admonished to 
a higher level of being. I reevaluate my vision. What do I really want to be? And am I really capitalizing on those moments that I talk about? And am I really loving well? And I'm all those things that, that I want to be, am I being those? And how can I be more of those? It is incredibly rewarding. And I can't wait. I'm so excited for you, Ross, because you're going to experience this. I just know enough about you and your heart and your vision for, hey, just this podcast speaks a lot. But the reward comes and they're gold. I mean, they're just heavenly gold. So Hallie graduated, my oldest graduated from high school a couple of years ago. And so we do this send-off party for a graduation party. So I get up, give her speech, challenge, admonish, hey, thank you. Hallie means, is the female version of hero. Hallie means heroine. So I just went into how she's made the name great and lives to that. And one of her dear friends recorded it. Well, she told me three years later, she still watches that from time to time. Well, yeah, I just, it was an admonishment, but encouragement, you know, but she still listens to that for from time to time, courage, right? So the rewards when, when you get a text from your daughter that just is an in-depth specific thank you compliment, when they send you, they can't be there for Father's Day, so they vlog you, they video, send you a video message, a video card, and just, I mean, it just makes me cry. It's the times when you're sitting in the dentist chair and the dentist comes in and goes, you know what, I got to tell you, your, your family, your kids are so polite, so respectful. It's all those little things that just make it so worth it. And I try not to need my kids for anything. Throw that out there going through counseling is to don't need them. They got enough to worry about. Just be a giver and a provider and a lover and, you know, love them well, love your wife well, fill them with truth, lead them to the cross, be a healthy self, provide and protect. If I nail all that and be good at that, then I'll be okay. I won't have too many regrets. Well, I well, think I, your kids don't know how lucky they are to have you, David. Wow. Everything you've shared has just been, wow, they are truly, truly uh, blessed to have you and, and Sherry as parents. So it's incredibly evident. Before we sign off to, I think that back to what you did with Hallie, how you publicly affirmed mm -hmm. her. I think yeah. there's power in public affirmation. I know we talked a little bit about bar mitzvahs and mm -hmm. there's that opportunity to publicly um, say, hey, there's value in you. And I see, I believe in you and you have what it takes. And I try to switch it up. I spoke at our eighth graders graduation and I didn't want to, cause usually it's about the speaker, you know, and I said, like, I don't want it to be about me. It's, mm -hmm. it's awkward. I don't want all the attention. So what we did was we had teachers from their past come back and visit. And we just wrote down little words of affirmation. Well, like we thought of this child. And so we just had them stand up individually. And yes. then we just, in front of the whole audience, and we just said, in the ceremony, we just did words of affirmation to these kids, because I was like, when will they ever have this? And whoever in their life has a one moment in time where they are affirmed, you know, and it was beyond powerful. And the kids were shocked. They didn't know what was happening. And just to see their, their physical demeanor change and the temperature in the room changed. And you just completely solidified that as far as how she goes back and just watches that. That's her dad who publicly is saying, I see like the letter that you got from your dad. You basically, you gave him a speech, a, almost a, a letter through a speech or a video to your daughter that she will forever have, which is huge. So that's, that's amazing. Yeah. When they say thank you, they're so sincere. You know, when they are sincere and they do a sincere thank you, like Reese will do this thing called, that's not called this. He just goes, yeah, dad. It's just that sincere, like, yeah, you're the man. 
That is just gold. And then Hallie, she's like, yeah, let's play the affirmation game. So we just uh, went for like 20 minutes, affirming statement after affirming statement, volley back and forth. And it was sometimes stupid. Like my dad builds sexy pergola, you know, <laughs> you did good on that project, dad. And it's cool. And <laughs> my daughter writes really beautifully. She writes beautiful letters. So it was one of those moments that to capitalize on that was a connection point for error. That is anyway. good stuff, David. Wow, man. Well, uh, this has been, uh, but I could just go on and on with you. This has really been a blessing for me. And I can't thank you enough for just wanting to jump on with me. And I hope that, you know, again, the prayer is that somebody out there just will find some hope and some find some encouragement with the words that you shared, uh, David, tonight, because we really do need each other. And that's the point of the show is to share our stories, to share our faults and failures and encouragement and stuff like that. Just to know, again, hence the name of the Bear Crawl. We really are all doing this together, you know, as we're sledging mm. through this role as a dad, but it's a blessing for sure. But great to connect with you, my friend. Likewise, brother. Thank you. You were a blessing to be with. You too. And and I've never met your family, so uh, it would be an honor for our past to cross, you know, at some point down the road. So again, David, thank you so much and blessings uh, to you and to all your kids and to your wife as you're navigating so many things. Right on. I'm excited for you. Thanks, Ross. Appreciate it. We hope you enjoy this latest episode of Bear Crawl with Dads. From our brother, C.S. Lewis, you can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending. Thank you.